Welcome to the QAV podcast. If you're brand new, I just want to introduce the podcast a little bit so you know what you're getting yourself into. If you've listened to the show before, feel free to just fast forward a minute or two. If you're brand new, here's the deal. Uh, my name's Cameron Riley. Tony Kynaston is an old friend of mine. He's a very successful share market investor. I'm talking very, very, very successful. He's been doing it 30 years. He's one of the best in the country in terms of a private investor. Very good uh, track record over 30 years. And what this podcast is about is Tony basically teaches me everything that he knows about investing in the stock market. And you get to listen. But if you're coming into this for the first time, you'll find that this episode, the current episodes, assume a certain level of prior knowledge. We assume that you know what we're talking about, his system, his methodology, which we explain in earlier episodes. So feel free to listen if you want to get the vibe for what's going on, but some of it's not going to make much sense unless you understand what the checklist is, etc. I recommend if you're brand new, you go back and listen to uh, Season 3, Episode 1, Episode 3 and Episode 5, where we go into Tony's background and his system and his methodology in a lot more detail. And then feel free to listen to the contemporary episodes, the current episodes, you'll understand more of the context of what we're talking about. With that, let's get into today's show. Hello folks, Cameron here. Welcome to QAV340. A little bit different this week rather than do the usual thing. Uh, This is the audio recording of the Zoom call that Tony and I did last week with about a dozen or so QAV Club subscribers who showed up for that um, good long chat, lots of good questions. Uh, so yeah, if you haven't seen it on video yet uh, and you weren't able to make it because the video is up on our website, uh, I know some of you probably prefer to uh, listen while you, I don't know, drive in the car or go to the gym or whatever it is that you do. So uh, enjoy. And if you have heard it before or seen it before, I'm sure you won't mind probably listening to it again so it all sinks in uh and uh, coming up uh tomorrow or the day after too we'll have our interview that we're about to record i'm uh editing this monday the 14th of september about to record an interview with kian from uh, stock doctor their i think chief analyst so that should be fun anyway here is uh the zoom call good tony how you going yeah good thank you that's good uh, I was just asking Cameron what your opinion was on something. So now I can ask you. Um, the last five to seven trades I've made have all tracked steadily backwards since <laughs> I purchased them. Not, not, the good part is the first seven trades tracked steadily upwards and have been going upwards ever since. Um, but the last five, not significantly, between two to three, five percent down. And Hawthorne's now 15% down for me but they haven't breached their sell lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, if you look at Hawthorne, it looks like it's trading well within a very tight pattern uh, on a very strong upswing on the chart. Would you err on the side of not losing money or would you err on the side of it's not breaching the trend line? Either on the side of uh, not breaching the trend line. So you wouldn't care about a 15% drop in pretty quick days on the basis of no news? Oh, no. No, I mean, I'd be more concerned if there was some news. 
Yep. Yeah, if there was news which you know looked really bad, then yeah, I'd probably sell if it if it had already been going down. But no, I think that's normal market action. I mean, just to go back over the history of it. There's been times uh, where it's retraced quite a bit, but overall the trend is up. So no, I'd be staying in. All right, no worries. Yeah. Uh, and do I have time for a second question? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, is that all right, Cameron? Um, index funds. I know. I know you bought into gear. Well, at least at least it was on our buy list for a while. Yeah. But I noticed that HJ. Uh, I think the Beta Shares Japan one didn't appear on the buy list, but it did look like it scored very well on the. Did you take it out because you didn't want to invest in, or you think you can do better than uh, ETFs like that, or, or was there some other decision why you wouldn't go into an ETF like that? No, HJ or H Japan is on the buy list. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And no, you're not reluctant to buy it. Um, I I was reluctant to own Gear and H Japan and GGUS and the European one. Uh, I, Gigas, yeah. Yeah. I, look, it's, that's a tough one, Paul. My reason for not wanting to hold more than one was they're all geared and uh, therefore uh, fairly volatile, especially like it just magnifies the upside and the downside. Um, and I didn't want to have sort of, you know, a large, a large part of the portfolio all geared towards that kind of rapid volatile movement. Yeah. 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 Look, you know, um, I really thought hard about that because it's the same, it's the same thing at like, you know, I own a lot of gold stocks, which I bought historically. So same sort of rule applies there, but I do own lots of gold stocks. So if gold ever falls through the floor, I'm kind of exposed to that sector. It's the same thing. I think with those geared beta share funds, they're, um, they're all, they are all in different sectors, but they all are essentially the same thing. I mean, the, the world moves in the same sort of synchronization really these days. Um, I, I don't, if the US falls, I think Australia would fall. If I think Japan would fall. I think Europe would fall. Um, the US has been going up. We've all been going up. There's, rel there's relativity. So the US has probably been the strongest out of all those, but that's, that's always going to be the case that there's going to be I think they're all part of the same engine, but they might fire slightly differently. Yeah. Um, what was really worrying me was the gearing. And did it provide you any support when Buffett bought into Japan? I said that I put that thing up on the Facebook page that he bought into, I think the top five commodity stocks. Um, and that's why I posted that because that, that uh, beta shares had five trading commodity firms in it and yeah, right. a couple of industrials as well. I thought it was a good way of, of following the Buffett trade yeah, added something definitely. that was already on the QAV checklist. So why not? Definitely. No, I agree, Paul. Do you, do you also own the gear and the GGUS as well? Not GGUS, um, just gear. I just decided that that's, they, they were the two that were highest for yeah, me. Okay. And yep. I, I thought that that's, that's the only exposure I wanted to take. Yeah, I, that's I, fine. I wasn't going to buy the Japan one, but then when I read about Buffett and his reasoning behind it, I looked at the makeup of the the Japan one. Five of them were exactly the same type of companies that Buffett was buying into, commodities companies mm -hmm. that were trading all at very low multiples. 
So it mm-hmm. seems like an interesting yeah, way yeah. to do it. Yeah, no, that's fair. Just um, just one thing on gear. We we recorded a podcast this afternoon where I mentioned that I'm selling out of my gear. It uh, looks like it's breached the three-point sell line today. You're right. Mm. All right. Great. Thanks very much, Tony. Yeah, and I've right. just I've just posted that to the Facebook group and uh, on the TK Journal as well, just so you guys, um, for transparency for anyone who's not on this, but yeah, we're both selling our gear and we'll take it out of our dummy portfolio tomorrow too, or tonight probably. So there you go. All right. Great. I only bought it. Only only bought it like two weeks ago, but <laughs> yeah, rules is rules. Yep. Yep. Better safe than sorry. Thanks. Yep. Thanks, guys. So, um, welcome to everyone who is has just arrived on the show uh, or on the call. Uh, feel free to introduce yourself, ask a question. We'll try and make sure everyone gets a chance to talk at some stage. So, um, anyone want to go next? I got I got one more. If, if you can squeeze it in, sure. Um, so I'm I, I, sorry. I'm, I'm trying to get all, all my my monthly. Um, podcast value in one night, Tony. I hope you don't think yeah, I'm answering right. questions. If I look at my um, my QAV portfolio, I'm not going to bring it up on the screen because it's embarrassingly small, but um, I'm, I can look at it now. And the vast majority of them, apart from those stocks that I just mentioned, are small commodity stocks in Australia, mm-hmm. like Base, Duketon, Hawthorne, Image, Medusa, um, would you uh, would you ever go through a portfolio construction kind of thing, uh, approach and go, geez, they're all pretty small, volatile, commodity-related stocks. Uh, the My next one on the list, you know, I might skip the next commodity stock and I'll buy a reject shop or a centre group or a, something like that. Or are you absolutely strict about what you'll buy next in terms of just the next one down on the list? Yeah, look, I'd normally buy next one down on the list. Um, that That's the short answer. Uh, I, I think if, yeah, like I said before, if it was something unusual like all these geared ETF funds, I might think twice about it. And I did think twice about it and didn't do it. But that was more about being exposed, not only to the same sort of thing, but the, but the fact that it was all geared, which is probably the more worrying thing. Uh, yep. Yeah, look, the thought crossed my mind. Like I said, I've got a lot of gold s- stocks at the moment. So, yeah, the, the thought crossed my mind that, um, yeah, should I should I not be so exposed to that sector? But but uh, I guess over, like, I bought most of my gold stocks um, four years ago and have been adding to them since. But, you know, in the meantime, um, A, they've gone up, but B, uh, other things have been, are also in the portfolio as well. So there's always going to be a sector of your portfolio, which is overweight. Yep. Um, I'm happy to be overweight for stocks, which I have a pretty high conviction of, like they score well on the QIV checklist and they're in a three-point uptrend. So if all your small commodity stocks fit that profile, I'm not too worried about it. I wouldn't, if the next stock off, like, I don't know, I don't know what we're talking about here, whether you're talking about half your portfolios in that or three quarters or a quarter or whatever. But if, but if I had, say, yeah, okay, then I wouldn't worry too much about that. Um, if the next one, it's, it's likely over time in, in this reporting season or the next that a different sector comes into play. 
All right, great. Thanks very much. All righty. Who wants to go next? And if no one has any questions, we can just get Tony to do a dance or something. Go back and watch and the I might, um, I might jump in if that's good. Yeah, go for it, Chris. Thanks. So, hi, Tony, Cam. Pleasure to, uh, to meet you both. Um, hi, Chris. Just a, a little bit of background first before I jump into my question. I'm um, so originally a geologist and, and worked in the sector for over 20 years and, and now run a, um, I guess, a consulting and research business specifically on the sector. Um, we help with valuations and all sorts of things within the sector. So quite familiar with obviously gold, iron ore, coal, whatever the case may be, across Asia, uh, Asia Pac um, in general, but, but also globally. Um, anyway, that aside, I'm, look, I've got a question which is relatively specific and obviously not looking for, for um, financial advice, but one of the things with being based up in Singapore is it is a, a tax-free zone in as far as there's no capital gains tax on, on trading. Um, now, obviously, with the QAV methodology, you've got a very clear criteria for, for buy and sell signals. But um, given that um, I am trading out of a, of, out of a tax-free zone, I, I'm just wondering if you were in a similar position, Tony, how you would, whether you to your advantage or whether you just continue with the, um, the process as you do. Yeah, I, I'd stay with the process. Um, I don't think, I don't think tax plays a big part. I'm just trying to think that through. I've lived in New Zealand where there was no capital gains tax and it didn't change what I did there. Uh, Canada had, what did Canada have? They had half capital gains tax, so it didn't change the process there. Um, I, and, and the process is driven more by, as you said, my, my decisions on when to buy and sell because of the uh, trend lines or if there's bad news or whatever. Um, rather than tax. So no, I don't think it would change change what I do. Look, I I have at some stages thought about trading. Uh, so using three point trend lines over a very short time period, because I've, I have found that they are a bit fractal, like it, it's, um, you know, like a, a graph over a week will have its ups and downs like a graph over five years. So you, you could try that. But um, no, I haven't done it. Okay, thanks for that. Yeah, that's all right. But lucky you, living in a tax-free zone. It does help. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as long as the market's moving in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, I mean, in terms of tax, I mean, I think I've touched on it before, but things like when it's, you know, in May or June, I'll start to look in the portfolio. I'll, start, I'll work out what I think my capital gains tax payment might be for the year. And if I've got something I can sell because it's sitting in the portfolio at a loss, I'll do that in May, June, rather than doing it later in the year and not getting that tax yeah. benefit for it. So just things like that are probably the way I approach tax. All right, who's next? Uh, Tony, have you got a second to look at the gear um, yeah. chart? I've, sure. I'll try and share my, I don't know if I can do it. I'm maybe not as good as you sharing screens. You see that? Yep. Is that, have I drawn what you would have done there or would you have used that second peak? No, uh, ooh. no, Paul. So uh, I'm getting the cell lines drawn from the lowest point, which is oh, March. Here. Yep. yep. And then the next lowest trough is up here in, in what's that, May, I think. Yep. Oh, there. Yep. I see. Oh, I see. Right. So yep. it's going. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Can you, um, yeah, I can try that. 
Yep. Or July would be the the next lowest trough, I think, Tony. Yeah. Just there where your crosshair is now. That's that's the next lowest. Yep, that's it. That's the line I'm drawing for a sell. Yeah, right. And so the sell point is right there, basically. Yeah, that's right. All right. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. I was doing a byline. Yeah, of course. Oh, so you're, what you've drawn is the byline is too far to the right. So you want to come back. Um, the byline almost goes down vertically. You can see the, the first month following that. that oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you go up with your crosshairs. Yep. Further, further, further. Go up, go up, go up, go up, go up. Now go left. There's a month there. That's the second, that. the second uh, point on that byline. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. So I breached, it breached the cell line uh, at about, well, it's actually hard. There's too many lines now, but anyway. Yeah. Um, so that, that's not a very major breach of the cell line though, is it? I mean, that's a couple of percent. That's right. Yeah. So it's, and, it's a, it's a tough one. This is a funny sort of graph, which I haven't really seen before, but that low point is on the right. I think almost in every other case, there's another lower point to the left, which you can, you know, for other companies you can use to draw your line. So you've got, yep. oftentimes you've got more leeway, but because this is one that's sort of almost vertically down and vertically back, there's not that much leeway on the cell line. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks very much. Yeah, and, and look, you know, it's um, uh, can't you can't lose sight of the fact that they're just lines on the graph. So if you wanted to hold on to it and take the risk, it's fine. But uh, but I'm selling out because it's breached the three point trend line. All right, good on you. Thanks very much. Okay. Just uh, request um, getting some feedback through. So uh, can everyone, uh, if you aren't talking keep your microphone on mute um, particularly if you don't have headphones in because it's going to feed back through uh, your microphone and it becomes a bit hard to understand mm. thanks thanks folks all right who's next everyone's question cam if that's okay everyone's just muted <laughs> <laughs> yes and yeah. i warn you if, if you don't ask questions tony and i will be talking about either kill bill or David Lee Roth <laughs> after our chat today. Yeah, go ahead, whoever that was. I didn't see who that was to go. That was me. Thanks, Cam. Um, Tony, I've got a question. Once the um, the reporting season is all settled down and you've reviewed your portfolio and you're a couple of months past and everything's just ticking along, and you say you read the financial review most days and let's say a stock comes up on your radar and you run it through the checklist and then you know, hypothetically speaking, let's say it gets an 80% on the quality score and a 0.2 on the overall QAV score. So it definitely goes into the buy list. And then you do your three point trend lines and hypothetically speaking, let's say the, the buy price on your three point trend line is 80 cents and it's just popped up above say 85, 90 cents. So all the indicators are that it's a buy, okay? Now, apologies if this sounds like a stupid question, but what do you do then? Well, it depends. If do you have? I mean, if it's if it's a few months after reporting season, I I would think I would be fully invested based on what happened in reporting season. Yes. Uh, so I'm just waiting for something to sell then uh, before I buy anything else. So there'll be most times there's more things on the buy list than I own because there's just not enough uh, space in the portfolio to accommodate a new recommendation. So you just have to wait. Okay, so you just keep it on the buy list and keep and, it on the buy list. And if something else drops below their three point sell line, then obviously they'll yeah. you know, take a priority. But otherwise, you just watch it and go. Yeah. Okay. 
I mean, as an investor, I'm always trying to be 100% invested. Yeah. It, it doesn't always work that way. Like back in March when everything was dropping off, I went to cash um, and then worked my way back into it. But, you know, the, the sort of um, the, the, the normal procedure is to be 100% invested. So if another opportunity comes along, I have to wait until something is a sell before I can buy it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and so I guess... This sort of stems from a question that I asked Cam, I think last week by email, but with that philosophy then and with the whole QAV philosophy, if, if something is obviously, you know, a quality company at a value price and you've bought in, but then the next round of the reporting season, there's nothing dramatic in the financials, but things have changed enough that the score has now dropped to say a 0.02 instead of a 0.2. So it's well, it wouldn't now be a buy, but you already own it. Mm-hmm. That's not enough to sell in its own right, is it? You still Correct. would hang on to that because it, it is still a quality company. Correct. It's, yeah. In fact, that's, that's, that's probably the most common situation uh, because we're, we're looking to buy things when they're in deep value. Yep. Uh, and then we want the rest of the market to start buying in after us. So, um, it, it doesn't worry me if, if the QAV score goes off because of the, the share price has gone up. Yep. Um, it, it, it's different if, if there was some kind of, you know, very, very um, unusual you know, change to the financials or something, you know, like they acquired a business and it blew up or something like that. Um, if the QAV score dropped for those reasons, then you, you might want to consider selling, selling the yep. stock. But no, no, we, we want the stocks to raise, to, for the share prices to rise and for their QAV scores to drop for that reason. Okay. Yeah. And then we hold them until I hold them until the three point sell line comes about, or there's some other reason like, you know, there's a um, something I don't like about the company. It's, it's um, released some bad news. Some of the CEOs resigned or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But that's what you've described as business as usual. Okay, cool. And plenty of my, I'd say probably, half to three quarters of my portfolio is in that situation now. There's the shares I bought um, over the years and I'm still holding on to them, but um, I wouldn't, if I was starting from fresh, I wouldn't buy them now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause they're, they're, they're too expensive on our metric, but they're still getting support in the market. Yeah. Thank you. In terms of three point trend lines, um, as you'll hear on the show, we <clears throat> recorded today when it comes out tomorrow. I had lunch with uh, one of our local Brisbane um, subscribers, Stephen Mab, today. I'm not sure if Stephen's on the call, but um, probably had enough of me for one day. <laughs> but he was uh, he was telling me that uh, he thought he could uh, improve on QAV, and he were he started buying stocks just as they uh, started to turn upwards, but before they breached their three point buy line he was like well sometimes there's 10 or 20 percent to be had from their bottom to their buy line so he bought some stocks and uh i think he said he bought six and two of them kept going and hit the buy line the other four didn't they turned around and went back down again so he said he uh he learned his lesson that uh there's a reason why tony waits for the buy line it's to you know uh prove that the the sentiment in the market is stable and confirmed and not to jump the gun but i thought it was interesting that he tested it out yeah it's great to test it um but yeah i understand that completely i mean a number of times i've looked at something and after i've bought it when it reached the byline and thought to myself i could have bought it 
20% cheaper. Um, why didn't I? But, but the fact is that that 20% is the insurance to make sure it does keep going. Uh, and, and the banks are the obvious ones. I remember, you know, a couple of months ago, must have been about April, after three of the four banks reported, and I said, gee, I'm sorely tempted to buy these, even though they haven't reached their three-point buy line yet because they were going up and because the results were really good and they, they scored well, and I'm glad I didn't buy them because um, they've all trended down since then. They haven't been good buys. And, and yeah, so I, I get sorely tempted as well, but it's just not worth it. Because the other thing too, which is um, I'm starting to feel after, you know, working through the last couple of reporting seasons um, is that uh, I've jumped in a bit early on some of the things like they've just stuck their nose ahead of the three point trend line and we bought them. And then during the month they've come, they've dropped back a bit and we've decided to sell them. Um, I'm almost thinking now we've like, there's something like, I don't know, 50 to 70 stocks on the buy list at the moment. Um, we don't really need to take those kind of chances. We can just wait. We can just only look at those which are in established uptrends past their byline when we know that they're going to keep going and just use those rather than um, try and jump in early. So does that mean you're going to give it another point for a not just a newly confirmed three-point trend line but a, a strongly confirmed three-point trend line, Tony? Yeah, I don't know, Paul. I'm thinking about those kinds of things. There's a, there's a few things I'm thinking about along those lines. One was um, there was a couple of things on the buy list which have gone from negative operating cash flow to positive operating cash flow. So I'm thinking about giving them a point, but um, I haven't seen enough data either way yet to make a decision, but it's something I'm watching. Uh, I think it's more likely that uh, I'll just, um, you know, maybe what we have to do, for example, is to wait for the month end before we buy something which has breached its three-point trend line. Like I've been jumping in during the month and buying them. And then sometimes they've gone down again and we've sold. But um, yeah, maybe maybe it's something like wait wait for a solid month above the three-point trend line. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, but but look, you know, haven't seen enough evidence yet one way or the other. A lot of the stocks that that, um, that fit that kind of category, which are arbitrary, are the ones which have been trending down before they, they go up again and we're trying to get them at the turn. So maybe that's the other answer is just to wait until you you don't try and pick them at the bottom, just um, wait for them to to, to you know, get onto the upward side of the U or the V before we start to buy. Yep. Anyway, these are just thoughts at the moment. I'll, I'll try and get enough data to, to make a determination one way or the other. Um, can you fit in? Can I, have I used yeah. up all my questions yet? No, can go I, for it. Uh, this the question for you might be a question for Chris Heath as well. I... Um, uh, in buying some of these smaller stocks like Medusa and Hawthorne and Image, their quarterly reports or their reports are much smaller and they're not as glossy and well explained. They don't have a chairman's <laughs> letter and that sort of stuff. And some of them, all they are is kind of diagrams of mine shafts with colours, pretty colours all over them. Um, they're actually pretty hard to decipher, some of the mm. small ones. Uh, are you waiting on those reports and trying to skill up yourself on what they actually mean? Or are you waiting for them to just to filter through to Stock Doctor? And Chris, is there any, is there any glossary, easily sort of a beginner's guide to understanding what those pretty, pretty graphs mean? They all look really nice, but I don't know what they're saying. Um, I pretty much ignore those quarterly statements. Um, 
the mining companies have to put them out. Yeah, whereas a, a retailer or a bank doesn't have to. They do six monthlies. Um, as for the glossy nature, I mean, to be honest, I'd, I'd rather just read the text. I don't. I think it's wasted uh, wasted shareholder money putting out glossy photos and annual reports and things. Uh, I've i probably looked at gold tenements, oil tenements, um, for for twenty years now, and still, you know. Don't, don't understand them at all. So I pretty much ignore them and look for, I, I wait for the numbers to hit stock doctor and that's what I use to base my decisions on. Because, yeah. you know, uh, and Chris, you might might jump in here, but um, there, there's obviously a lot of data in there which is relevant, but there's also a lot of marketing. Because, you know, the little bits I do understand about, particularly the gold miners, are it's always about, you know, we've drilled 30 holes and this one's got this cross-section which looks promising. It's always... You know, here's what it might be as the upside, which is just marketing. They're, they're trying to, you know, um, put their best their best uh, foot forward in terms of telling you what they've got under the ground. And truth is, they don't know. Um, so whenever a company announces a change in a reserve or resource, they need to um, uh, report as per an official standard and have a certified person sign off on it. Um, and... Um, uh, because of QAB and, and other reasons, I've spent a lot of time also drilling through a lot of these technical reports and trying to see if that um, gives you some sort of additional insight. But there's a lot of, um, uh, my point of view on this is we're better off just to use the, the QAB process to assess mm. um, some of these juniors and mid-tiers. Um, I'm not sure you're going to get a lot of additional value or, or, or try and stay ahead of the curve by trying to uh, assess um, project reports. So, yeah, I'd just follow the process. Right. Thanks. I mean, it's, it's my company, we do, we produce cost curves for all of the miners and often before I'll invest, I'll have a look and, and see where they sit on the cost curve relative to their peers. And it's, it's interesting and, but it doesn't necessarily correlate to their Q of E score and, and, um, and the overall recommendation. So um, at this point in time in my, my investment cycle, I prefer just to follow the QAB approach rather than try and gain that additional insight because I'm not convinced that from an investing perspective, it, it gives you an edge. And Chris, if I could just add as well, it's, um, there's a fair bit of subjectivity in, in those you know, resourcing reports, even if they are um, signed off by a qualified person. And the case in point at the moment is I, I own shares in Northern Star and Saracen, two gold mining companies, which I, I bought a few years ago when they were, when they were on the QAV checklist and they both done well. But, but last year they bought into the, what's called the super pit, the big, the big gold mine in Kalgoorlie, which has been around for decades. And they bought 50% each and they both have a different resource um, projection for the same mine. So, you know, that just shows me how subjective these things are. It's the same hole in the ground and they own 50% each and they both have different uh, projections for it. Yeah. And it's because they use different gold prices. So, so what they do is they define, the, what's called the pit shell, which is how big the pit will be, but that's all defined on by what's called the cutoff grade, so where the gold decreases, and the price that, of gold that you use to model, and they use different prices. Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. For the brand new folks, I want you to know that each week we have a free episode and a premium episode. Free episode runs about half an hour. Premium episode usually runs for an extra half hour to an hour, depending on how many questions we have from our audience that week because we spend a lot of that time answering questions. Uh, if you want to check out the premium episodes, you can go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au and sign up for the two-week free trial. 
you get to have a look at the uh, premium episodes, you get to have a look at the checklist, the getting started guide, all of the video content that we have. Uh, you get invited to our VIP dinners and our VIP Zoom calls for club members. You get to ask Tony questions that we can answer. You get to get invited to our uh, Facebook group, our private Facebook group, etc., etc. So, And also we get a, a private uh, club member newsletter each week we send out as well with some stuff in it. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au. But as I said, if you're brand new and you want to, you're trying to figure out what's going on, Go back and listen to Season 3, Episodes 1, 3, and 5, 301, 303, and 305. And then you might also want to go back and listen to Season 1 as well, all of the free episodes in Season 1, where we go into a lot of detail about Tony's system and methodology and figure out if this is right for you, if it's something that you want to go further with, if you want to learn how to invest like Tony does, then you can check out the uh, QAV Club. Uh, the other thing I always have to say is we're not financial advisors, so don't take anything you hear on this as financial advice. This is just here to teach how one guy invests and thinks about investing. If you need financial advice or tax advice, please go see a financial advisor or a tax advisor. Uh, with that, stay safe, good luck with your investing, and we'll be back next week.